Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 8th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, tailgating at the big game caucus style, the feds weigh in on Iowa's new youth employment laws, and more news from the aftermath of a collapsed residential building in downtown Davenport. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this week, our Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief, Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have lead Des Moines Bureau Chief, Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron, and go Hawks. <laughs> Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron, and I concur with the go Hawks. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal with us as well. Hello, Jared. Any, anyone who can hear me, I, I can't stress this enough. Please don't talk to me about college football. <laughs> Wait, is it because you have a team that lost, or is it because you're just because I don't, you I don't, don't care. like college? Co- yeah, you don't cosmic, care. For the cosmic Chiefs. indifference. Yeah, that's what I thought. You're just waiting for the Chiefs kickoff. Uh, Tom, I, I feel compelled to offer you a second chance at, at your intro. Phil, Phil, yeah, I'm sorry, intro. Hello, yeah, we go have Cyclones. Tom Barton. There we go. <laughs> All right. First up this week, uh, be careful how you toss those bean bags, Marco Rubio, because it's once again time to tailgate with the presidential candidates at the Iowa Iowa State football game. Eight years ago, four Republican presidential candidates appeared at an event in the parking lot of Iowa State's Jack Trice Stadium in Ames just before that year's Iowa State versus Iowa football game. That 2015 event was hosted by the state party and a few local parties, actually, and was attended by Rubio, Donald Trump, Rand Paul, and Scott Walker. Uh, This year, the focus once again is on Jack Trice Stadium as the Cyclones once again will be hosting the Hawkeyes in the annual interstate rivalry game. There's no organized event for the candidates uh, this time around, but as of podcast taping on Thursday afternoon, uh, three candidates that I know for sure uh, plan to be at Trice before the game on Saturday, Trump again. Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Is that everybody, gang? Did I miss? I haven't heard anybody lately. Okay. All right. Uh, so Tom and Caleb, I want to get both of your thoughts on this. So let's start things this way. Uh, as has been established, Tom is an Iowa State grad and Caleb an Iowa grad. So I think the reporter to go first in this session should be the reporter whose alma mater is going to win Saturday's game. Okay, go. <laughs> All right. So the first time. Oh, the conference yeah, coming to you. got to be quicker on that unmute button. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, I'll I'll, I'll let you have this one. So, 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 Tom, what, what, uh, what should we be looking for? This, this is kind of an interesting event, right? Because it's, uh, uh, it's obviously a chance to glad hand a lot of people, but it's not people who came there for politics, right? They came there for football. So, so, what, uh, what should we expect? What, what, what kind of, um, um, how effective can an event like this be? Yeah, I mean. This is going to be, you know, similar to what we saw from the candidates during the Iowa State Fair, right? I mean, it, it's going to be kind of um, a similar type of event um, for the candidates um, walking through tailgates, walking through the crowds, um, glad handing, uh, you know, taking photos um, with people at, at the tailgates, Um and, uh, you know, with Trump, it's probably going to be a repeat of what uh, we saw from him at the Iowa-Iowa State game back in 2015 um, when, you know, he showed up and made a quick appearance, you know, wave to the crowd, wave to the fans, um, uh, took a stroll on the field, I think, on the sidelines. Um, and, you know, he was in, he was out. Um, you know, he, he caused a lot of, um, you know, commotion and 
um, you know, it's going to be, again, similar to what we saw from 2015 and what um, we saw from him at the Iowa State Fair. You know, he was he was in, he was out, he was there for about 45 minutes. Um, it's probably going to be the same thing. Um, I don't know that he's going to um, give a speech or, you know, any anything like that um, or really spend, you know, a, a whole lot of time, you know, interacting and, and mingling with with people Um at the game or, or, or in the tailgates. Um, Ron DeSantis and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, uh, according to their campaigns, are both holding um, tailgating events. Um, so, you know, as continues to kind of be the narrative for um, Ron DeSantis, you know, this event for the Florida governor is going to be, um, you know, another opportunity to, um show you know his his ability or inability you know to have those personal connections um with uh iowa uh republican caucus goers um and just your regular average you know run-of-the-mill iowans um you know including um iowa and iowa state football fans um who you know might not be politically engaged or, or motivated you know um, it's going to be an attempt for him to try and see um, you know, how much appeal he can generate with, um, again, just your your average voters who might not be um, that politically plugged in, um, you know, haven't been paying attention um, to his campaign or to the rest of the field um, and, you know, may or may not, you know, be caucusing or have decided whether or not they're going to caucus for a candidate. Um, so it's, it's, it's an opportunity, again, like at the state fair to, again, see how much his message is resonating with just your average Iowans um, and to try and, you know, make himself, you know, more appealing, you know, to, to that everyday kind of blue collar football fan. Um, and for, uh, and, and, you know, the same thing to some extent for Vivek Ramaswamy, um, you know, for both of them, it's going to be an opportunity to try and, you know, build upon whatever, um, momentum they generated for themselves or their campaigns, um, you know, after the RNC um, debate um, a couple of weeks ago in in Milwaukee, um, and um, you know, for you know Vivek, you know, he's probably going to benefit from um, having Trump there and kind of his effusive support for the former president, um, and you know standing behind him and all of the legal um, challenges that he's facing. Um, you know, DeSantis, um, I don't know how receptive of a crowd, uh, you know, he might get and face um, with Trump there. I mean, that'll, that'll be interesting, right? Watching the, the dynamic among um, the crowd and the people there in terms of how they react to Trump versus how they react to DeSantis. Yeah. And is, uh, Trump going to spend the whole day trying to troll the DeSantis campaign like he did. It, right. There. And, 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 you know, it, it is, is um, Governor Kim Reynolds going to be there? And if so, will, will she be with Trump or is she going to be primarily spending her time um, with Ron DeSantis and Casey DeSantis as kind of has been, um, you know, the trend thus far? Yeah. And I, I just think this is an obvious choice for, for the candidates. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that more candidates um, haven't announced although that could happen this weekend. Um, but as Tom mentioned, you know, there's going to be tens of thousands of Iowans there. It's kind of just like the state fair, a free crowd of people that um, that you can uh, 
throw your message to and, and see what sticks. And, um, you know, obviously a lot of even outside of the stadium or outside of the the gate or the the city, a lot of attention is going to be trained um, on the game anyway. So you're getting that free media attention. Um, I also wonder if there is any factor in the decision, um, the fact that the game is in Ames rather than in Iowa City. Obviously, the the people at the game might be are, are probably would probably be the same, you know, split of Democrats and Republicans either way, but. I, I want I feel like Iowa City maybe has uh more people that might be more likely to show up and try to counter those Republicans message or there be might, might be more organized to do that so that might be that's an interesting um just thought what what might be different um about that and then uh the other thing that is going to be interesting that day is going to be the um the the police presence and the kind of the safety protocols I don't think any of the fans are going to be excited um about the fact that it the the you know the Iowa State Police State Patrol are going to have to close off the roads um around the time Trump arrives I think it's probably going to add a lot of traffic to the day um and there's going to be a higher police presence around the stadium um regardless so that's going to be interesting to watch if anybody gets uh gets kind of delayed in that regard so yeah if you're going to the game you might want to leave a little earlier than you even normally would what time's kickoff saturday is it a 2 30 game yeah 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 and and uh maybe um, consider heading out friday <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> if you have a tent now is the time if uh if any of the candidates who show up um want to lay any money on the game if they need betting tips they can talk to some of the uh the players for uh both of the teams you know <laughs> Topical humor. We love it. We love it. Uh, I've been neck deep in that story, so I appreciate that joke, Jared. Thank you very much. Um, So this is exciting, folks. We have some live self-fact-checking taking place here. I just realized, (laughs) first of all, I'll be, I realized what an idiot I am. So I I had pulled up the, so I made the Marco Rubio joke and the beanbags, and and I was going to explain to people who might not know that joke. And so I pulled up the tweet. Um, and, and so the story is Marco Rubio was on the Iowa state campus and he got, he, he happened upon some kids playing beanbags and he, they invited him to toss a few if he wanted. And he sh- tossed them free throw style, like a basketball shot instead of, you know, the soft underhand toss that, that, uh, we all do. So, um, but I, I, it turns out I'm the, the doofus here because, um, and maybe the first clue should have been that in, in the photo that I posted with the tweet, they're all wearing winter jackets and stocking caps. That was not at an Iowa, Iowa State football game. It was actually at uh, when Iowa State students were camping out for basketball tickets. So um, clarification there to the, to the joke uh, uh, in an epic fail on my part. This is why editors get paid the big bucks, folks, right here because of things like this. Um, so, Jared... Uh, wanted to talk to you about this. Western Iowa Congressman Randy Feenstra won't be tailgating at the big game, but not to be outdone. Uh, well, I will be outdone, but in an attempt to not be outdone, he is hosting his own Big Caucus event also on Saturday. Tell us about what Congressman Feenstra has planned. Yeah, so um, Republicans in the uh, the 4th Congressional District uh, have an event planned at the uh, Story County Fairgrounds on Saturday. It's going to be a mix of a, uh, a tailgate, um, for the aforementioned game, uh, presidential candidate rallies. Um, there are seven candidates who've confirmed they're going, and a a straw poll, which means a straw poll is back in uh, in Story County anyway. Um, and yeah, you mentioned um, Ramaswamy, and he's confirmed as a guest for the event. As are uh, Ryan Binkley, uh, Doug Burgum, uh, Will Hurd, Asa Hutchinson, 
Uh, E.W. Jackson, who has not come up at all on this show before, but will, at least in the context of being someone going to this event. He's on the board Um, now. Yes. Uh, And uh, Perry Johnson. Um, So just based on uh, on polling, Ramaswamy is the the biggest name as of now. Um, And and I'm sorry, Jared, but that's not at the stadium, right? That's uh, at the fairgrounds. At the fairgrounds. Thank you. Yep. so yeah, uh, and then Trump, DeSantis, uh, Tim Scott, and uh, Larry Elder are listed as having been invited too, but aren't confirmed. Um, something I took note of in a release for the event is that organizers took care to say that uh, Republicans, Democrats, and Independents are all welcome to come. So I'd be curious to see if that uh, comes to pass or not. And um, my curiosity is also at least a little bit piqued by the... Uh, aforementioned uh, straw poll because as everybody knows from uh, 79 up to uh, 2011 uh, the Republican Party of Iowa held the uh, Ames straw poll and then phased it out after that year for a number of reasons Um, the straw poll they're doing on Saturday isn't being billed as some successor to that but I would like to see uh, who that shakes out for you know any any attempt at polling is is one I'm curious to see Absolutely. And that you're, you're so right. That, that is interesting that that's part of that event. And, and, uh, and again, they're clearly trying to be careful with it by noting, uh, this is, this isn't replacing the old aim straw poll that, that got taken away. That's not what this is. This is our, just our own little thing. Just like the colonels at the fair, right? Uh, so, it just occurred somehow, to me, they didn't do that this year. Oh, we didn't get any results. There were well, no, I don't think that, thought, that did WHO do it. I know the Secretary of State still did his. Was the WHO colonels buckets there? I didn't. I was it. just thinking of the Secretary of State one. I don't know if WHO did one. Yeah, WHO used to do one where it was jars uh, with each candidate on them, and then the corn kernels. You voted with a corn kernel. I don't think they did that this year. Anyway, sorry, somehow, Jared. somehow this straw poll, Ron Paul will end up winning again, uh, <laughs> just like uh, past uh, Ames straw polls. Oh man, fantastic. All right. Um, let's get off the campaign trail a little bit here. And and Sarah, we're gonna come to you next because you had a number of really interesting stories this week. Um, as the Quad City Times continues to cover the collapse of a downtown Davenport residential building earlier this year. And before we get into this, I mean it by a number. There's a there's a whole series of them. So uh get to qctimes.com. Did I say that right? Um this week and and um check out all of we're going to talk about a few of them one in particular but all of them are worth um um seeing so get to the quad city times website and check out uh, the stories from sarah and the team there um one of them had some really interesting comments from a former davenport city administrator who called the building collapse which resulted in the deaths of three residents quote not just foreseeable but also predictable and preventable. Uh, so strong words there. Um, and and then, Sarah, you're actually coming up to us today with even fresher and even more important news on top of that to share with us. So I'll, I'll just let you take it away from here. Yeah, so just early this morning, the city released um, its investigative report on the causes and origins of the collapse. So the city, in the days after the collapse, hired uh, a in a forensic engineer that responded to the Surfside building collapse um, and then an engineering firm that he contracted with for support. And so that report was released today and it determined that brick work remo- brick removed in the three days before the collapse, um, as well as inadequate shoring to support the wall was the root causes of the collapse. 
So there were, and it really, uh, it goes in detail about um, analyses by the engineering firm Select Structural and how those um, engineering reports did not adequately um, assess the west wall as a load-bearing wall um, and didn't, and faultily said that they could remove these pieces of brick and, and not put in place uh, more robust supports to hold up the wall. And, and I'm, um, so it go, it goes I'm sorry, through, sir, forgive sorry. me for jumping in because I just had a quick question here. Because um, I, I, full disclosure, hadn't had a chance to read this yet. And so I'm literally digesting this as you're telling me. The, the, there was brick removal? Yes. So the west wall that. of 324 Main Street had been a problem for years before this. And in February, the city ordered uh, the building owner, Andrew Wold, to produce a, an, a structural engineering report to assure that the uh, building did not need to be evacuated and that it was structurally um, not an imminent danger to its residents. Uh, so that report was produced. Um, there was some work done in February, March, um, and then there was a follow-up visit in May. And then there was more in there in where the engineer found more issues. And so then there was work being done on May 26th and 27th. Um, especially in 26, they removed several big sections of brick from the wall. Um, and then that, so that took a five row, well, they're called wides, like a, a section of brick. So okay. it took that from five bricks thick to two or three bricks thick in some places, according to this report, which, um, and the shoring that they had in place was not enough to hold up wow. the wall. Wow. So, yeah, so it seems consistently through the report, the investigators note that uh, the engineers and the and the contractors refer to the wall as veneer, or which is kind of like a um, like a uh, kind of for show, like it's not stru a structural part of the wall. Uh, when in fact they say that no, this was a structural wall, and some of the uh, the movements and the and the problems that had appeared with the wall should have set off more alarm bells for the engineering firm and the, uh, the uh, contractor that did the brick repair. Interestingly, though, I do want to note there has been a lot of uh, criticism aimed at city officials for not catching this and preventing something like this from happening. And this report specifically says that municipal policy is outside of the scope of the report. So it doesn't dive into what kind of city policies or municipal policies could oh interesting be so uh at Walters or, or changed okay so they're not saying thumbs up or thumbs down they're saying we didn't delve into that did i understand that right in the report yes yeah as far as we have read it so far yeah, there is one. There is one paragraph that says that um, the city built chief building official. Uh, she when she'd issued the notice of the order for Andrew Wold to produce a structural engineering report. Um, she wrote that it was uh, there appeared to be some problems with a with the west uh, load bearing structural wall. And I'm not quoting that directly. That's a paraphrase. But they said that that chief building officials use of the words you know referring to it as a structural load bearing wall was was correct in that mm. um but for some reason the engineering firm had not taken in, taken that 
the fact that that was a structural load bearing wall into uh, into account. Yeah. Has um has he put out any kind of statement at all uh, as of late? Maybe in response to this or any other recent uh, developments. That is a great question. So not necessarily to the media or publicly, but he has responded in lawsuits and he countersued um, Select Structural Engineering, the firm that he hired. Uh, and he's alleging that the uh, they did not adequately, they did not um, assess properly for risk. They didn't, they weren't able to um, uh, warn, you know, assess the risk to residents or assess the risk of collapse. And so he's, he's um, saying that he relied on select structural to inform them of any dangers and that, and that they didn't. And then, and how about them? And uh, I should say that we have reached out. Yeah. So they have not answered in the lawsuit yet, but, and I reached out to them and they had no comment. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Interesting. So, so uh, before we move on, Sarah, what, what's, what's next now? What this, so this is a report that uh, was just issued. Uh, I guess it's, following the lawsuits now or what's kind of the next uh, noteworthy steps yeah, so, or events here? Yeah. So the report is 113 pages. So we're still total, still absorbing it. And there's, there may be some things that we've haven't come across yet or haven't fully connected the dots on yet. Um, but yeah, for now it is uh, lawsuits. We'll be keeping an eye on the division of criminal investigation, which has been, was on site like, very soon after the collapse to see if there's any update in any possible criminal charges. Um, and then also, uh, I should say this is completely separate thing, but tonight they're having a meeting to consider the removal of se a seventh ward alderman. Um, for This is a completely separate issue, but uh, so the city of Davenport has a lot of news going on right now. <laughs> Keeping you all busy. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. Um, Great stuff. And again, uh, I reemphasize here, um, get yourself to qctimes.com uh, and, and check out all that coverage uh, from this week and, and keep an eye on things moving forward. Obviously, a lot of moving pieces and a lot of important stuff happening there. Um, and, and Sarah and the team have been doing a, a great job. Um, and uh, boy, DCI is busy. They got that. They got the sports betting stuff. Uh, they got a lot on their plate these days. Uh all right. Finally, this week, I don't think DCI is involved in this one, uh, but the federal government is more thoughts on Iowa's new youth employment laws. Republican state lawmakers earlier this year loosened some restrictions on when and where teenage Iowans can work. And now the federal labor department says that those new state laws conflict in a couple spots with federal worker regulations. Uh, Tom, your story says uh, the feds say there are two primary ways in which the new state laws conflict with federal law. Um, where the new state law allows 16 and 17 year olds to operate dangerous power driven machines and where the new state law does not require 16 and 17 year olds working in apprenticeships or student learner roles to be registered by the federal labor department or a state agency. Um, so uh, at least the scope of this is focused a little from the, you know, when we talked about it during the legislative session, I feel like there are more um potential areas of conflict that were discussed then so we're down to these two but but still some some big ones what, what it, it and and we hear so often about employers in Iowa being confused and wanting clarity and not knowing whether they need to follow federal law or state law does 
what does this latest letter from the feds mean for that? Do we have any more clarity? What, what, what does this mean for employers and young Iowa workers going forward? Yeah. Um, so um, the letter was dated um, August 24th, and it's a response to one that was sent in July by um, Iowa Democratic um, state uh, lawmakers. Um, and it says that when state and federal labor laws conflict, um, federal law, which provides greater protection for young workers, must be followed. So most employers are subject to both state and federal child labor laws, and employers covered by the Fair Labor Standards Act who follow a less restrictive Iowa law could be in violation of federal law and subject to penalties, um, according to the letter, which is signed by the Federal Labor Department's um, solicitor um, and its wage and hour division uh, principal deputy, deputy administrator. Um, as you mentioned, the department previously sent a letter in May saying that Iowa's youth labor bill conflicted with federal workforce regulations. Republicans pushed back, saying that some of the information in the letter was outdated because of changes that were made to the bill during the legislative process. Um, again, that bill has now been signed into law by Governor Kim Reynolds and Democratic state lawmakers reached back out to the Labor Department to, to weigh in um, on, on the law now that it's, again, now that it's been signed and, and went into um, effect. Republicans also argue that many of Iowa's and other states' youth labor regulations already were out of step with federal regulations. Um, Governor Reynolds, in a statement, noted that Iowa, along with um, neighboring states of Illinois and Minnesota, um, have employment laws related to minors that don't comply with federal law in saying that um, unlike Washington, D.C. here in Iowa, um, quote, we believe in the dignity of work and want to instill those values in, in the next generation. Um, so the Iowa Division of Labor website does note that employers are subject to both state and federal child labor laws and that, again, when there are differences, they must follow the law that gives the most protection. Um, there's also an FAQ about um, the waiver process by Iowa Workforce Development that notes certain work activities are also prohibited under federal law and advises employers to consult with an attorney um, to determine how the law applies to them. You know, State House Democrats. Um, took this letter um, and used it to, to say that, um, you know, this is further proof in their minds that um, the law makes kids less safe by exposing them to hazardous, hazardous environments that could get them um, injured um, and say that um, it creates new bureaucratic confusion that can lead employers um, into violating federal law and that this letter serves as a warning, again, for Iowa employers and a call for state lawmakers to um, fix what they see as a bad law and, and to protect kids from dangerous jobs. Um, you know, uh, spokesperson for Iowa House Republicans um, said that, um, you know, argues or contends that this is a reasonable bill that was passed with input from 
Iowa House Democrats and that it maintains um, necessary protections and requirements for worker safety um, and notes that not every Iowa business is covered by the, the Federal Fair Labor Standards Act and that those businesses small enough will need only to um, abide by Iowa law. Um, again, they um, contend that um, this ensures that um, Iowa law is not responsible for um, what they see is, is unnecessary barriers to young Iowans and their ability to learn valuable life skills, save for their future, and explore possible career paths. I guess we're not talking about kids working in the mines anymore, so we've made that much progress at least, right? <laughs> We did. They 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 did they did amend the bill to exclude that. But I mean, it 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 should be noted that um, that the um, the bill that was signed into law, um, you know, does allow um, sixteen and seventeen year olds um, to engage in heavy manufacturing, um, in work and demolition, um, all of which are prohibited under. Um, federal child labor laws. I, I should state, though, that, you know, in order to participate in certain hazardous work activities, um, they have to apply um, for a waiver. And, and, and even if they do get the waiver, you know, there are certain conditions that have to be met. Um, you know, such work has to be part of a state-approved career technical education program or some sort of work-based learning program or, or apprenticeship, um, and it has to provide proper supervision training um, and safety precautions, and a parent also has to grant permission. Yeah, yeah. So since, that, um, good, sorry, go ahead, Jared. I, I was going to say, since the, the Iowa legislation wasn't necessarily appreciably different from some of the um, legislation we saw passed in other states, this feels like something that's going to be ripe for a, uh, a federal uh, court decision uh, down the line <laughs> to weigh in on some of these discrepancies. It very well could be. And I also imagine that it'll be ripe for a campaign ad or two uh, uh, next year as well. And uh, if history is any indication, those campaign ads may uh, not be 100 uh, percent grounded in, in reality or at least slightly exaggerated. I, I can I can almost hear some of them now. It'll be interesting it, to see. Yeah, it, it's also not immediately clear um, how many employers have taken advantage or right. applied for a waiver and who, which employers have done that, you know, the types of employers in, right. in which circumstances, situations they're asking for a waiver. Um, we have uh, the Gazette has requested that information from um, Iowa Workforce Development and uh, is, uh, is is waiting a response and waiting to get um, some of those records. Yeah, that'll that'll be an interesting one uh, to find that out. All right. Uh, maybe just real quick before we go, I hadn't put this in the script, but we mentioned it a couple of times. Um, so maybe just worth talking really super quick about the sports betting thing. And um, as I lay things out, uh, if any, I'm curious if any of you all, um, I'm talking to my fellow panelists here, if they have any questions or interest, uh, think, things they find interesting in this. Um, 
it's it's just been you know i didn't originally put in the script because i try to include topics that we can you know add some insight to beyond our coverage and not just reread the story to you essentially and i don't know what there is to say about this beyond what we reported this week other than that it just has been fascinating to me and, and especially this week with seeing you know on one day we had the news about getting the most serious charges yet we had a couple of people charged with felony identity theft so the first felony charges in in this investigation and then the next day we had our first plea deal announced where you know obviously the charges went the other way they plead to lesser charges uh taking it from tampering down to underage uh gambling which is only a fine and no threat of any uh, jail time um so it was just kind of interesting in that respect this week to see to see you know the charges kind of going in different directions and obviously there's still a lot going on and and uh, and more individuals involved and it's going to be interesting to see where this goes and, and what other charges are, are brought um I don't know. Do you guys have anything else insightful or um, any interesting questions on that? I I have found it fascinating to be involved in reporting on probably because I'm a sports fan and I've never been a better, but I'm very well aware of the uh, sports betting, you know, universe. So it's kind of been an interesting story for me to cover. This is an insight, but it's a question because I thought I heard I, I, somebody else raised it and I was not sure the details is it. Are there athletes in other States that have been, charged with this or is it just iowa there have but not many um and now i'm not gonna be able to come up with the states off the top of my head um but there have been a couple other cases but it's only like it's a small number it's like two or three states um um so it's not very widespread yet and that's an interesting thing that people have been talking about as you know i've been reporting the story is why iowa what what, why here um and and i in one of uh, my interviews i talked to the ceo of u.s integrity who's um uh, they're a sports betting integrity monitoring company. They literally partner with, you know, the DraftKings and FanDuel's and MGM's of the world and and with law enforcement, too, to kind of monitor gaming activity and, and help find red flags for possible illegal activity. Um, they're sort of a third party vendor that does that. Um, and I asked him that question and um, he didn't know for sure, but he said, you know, his best hypothesis, his best guess was this kind of unique framework that Iowa has where you have the Racing and Gaming Commission that's the regulating industry agency and then the Division of Criminal Investigation, which is the law enforcement uh, side of it. And and those two agencies aren't, you know, under the same umbrella, uh, the DCIs and the Department of Public Safety. And he said, that's unique. He said, most in most states, those kinds of bodies are under the same state agency. Uh, but he said, but maybe because of that, you know, DCI kind of goes out on the, their own um, more than maybe a similar agency would in in other states. And maybe that's why there's a more aggressive approach to it, at, at least at this point in Iowa, than we're seeing in other states. Because obviously the obvious subcontext here is there's no way that the Iowa is the only place that this is happening at this level. Of course, this is going on in every other state in the, in, in the country. Uh, so, so that is a very interesting question. Why Iowa? And, and I don't think there's a definitive answer on that. That, that was the most interesting response I've heard to that question anyways, but that's a good one. Caleb. Well, and along those lines, I mean, you know, as much as Iowa loves its football, some of those schools that take football even more seriously than here I have to think they're even more like militant about making sure that this kind of stuff either a doesn't happen in the first place or B if it does happen that no one ever hears about it. <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly right. I think that's an absolute fair question to ask about States like 
Alabama and Georgia and, and, well, and Florida, you know, those super intense football schools where they say that the football coach has more authority than the governor. Well, Al- Alabama was one of the states that had an issue, but it was with the baseball team. It wasn't with the football team, at least that's been reported. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely a fair question to, to, to pose and to, and to wonder is, you know, is it just it's happening, but, um, you know, certain authority figures have been encouraged to turn the uh, turn a blind eye to it. I, I think that's a fair question. Well, regardless, uh, if you're placing a bet on the big game Saturday, please make sure you're 21 and please make sure you are not doing it on behalf of any current Iowa, Iowa State football players or other athletes. Uh, uh, just enjoy it for yourself. Um, that'll do it for this week's edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. William Elliott Whitmore will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, and our producer, Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. And on this weekend of the big game, let me just say, on Wisconsin. Our Saturday night bonanzas are known from here to Kansas as being the thing to do. We like to pass around that shine, get everybody feeling fine, drinking that good old South Lee County brew. Oh, put it to your lips and take a little nip. Oh, you know your bell is rung when you can't feel your tongue And all you did was take a little sip Oh, tip back the jar So good so far And we'll drink until we don't know what to do Oh, we'll hoop and we'll holler And we'll take another swallow Of that good old South Lee County brew Another batch will be done soon And we'll be howling at the moment What tomorrow brings I haven't got a clue All I know is Tonight I'll be feeling alright With my bottle of South Lee County brew Oh, put it to your lips And take a little nip Oh, you know your bell is rung when you can't feel your tongue and all you Take a little sip Oh, tip back the jar So good so far And we'll drink until we don't know what to do Oh, we'll hoop and we'll holler We'll take another swallow Of that good old South Lee County brew Some folks say that the jar's half empty Some folks say that the jar's half full And some folks like me don't give a damn As long as I get another pull. 
Take another swig of that good old South Lee County brew. 